Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 203, I'm joined by Eliza Van Court. Eliza is an acclaimed speaker, best-selling author, empowering mentor, rule breaker, rule maker, and unapologetic space claimer. Her first book, A Woman's Guide to Claiming Space, Stand Tall, Raise Your Voice, and Be Heard was published in May 2021, and in a few days became a number one bestseller on Amazon. We have a great conversation around what it means to claim space, how we can help women claim more space, and how men can help in that journey too. I hope you enjoy the conversation. It's episode 203 with Eliza Van Court. Eliza, welcome to the Always Best in Yesterday podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Very, very good. Uh, for the benefit of those watching on YouTube, please do lift that mug up again. Oh. <laughs> I can do anything if I concentrate hard with my lady brain. I know that you've got a number of like merched up um, superhero vibe. Yeah. Uh, mugs. <laughs> I do. I should have brought down my crazy feminist bitch um, mug, but <laughs> <laughs> I just have this one today. <laughs> what is it about superhero vibes, superhero energy that really inspires you? I, I don't know. You know, I, I actually, um, my nephew joined my family when he was in high school and he had kind of a rough time. And I think there's something about superheroes that just make us feel like there's a greater thing in the world that we can aspire to be to make the world better. And that, you know, maybe some superhero could save us if we're in trouble. Like mm. it just sort of lends a feeling of magic. And also I was a kid who spent a lot of time in my imagination as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was sort of my escape. And I, a man, I first I wanted to be wonder, uh, I wanted to be Lois Lane, but then I was like, nah, nah, I want to be Wonder <laughs> Woman. What am I doing? <laughs> Wrong call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's um, it's really interesting. I, I remember hearing someone talk about the the differences and the similarities between like um, superheroes and villains, and yet they both have like these backstories. They both have something in their backstory, and the superhero kind of uses that pain for good, almost like wanting to give back, to serve, yeah. to help humanity, and yet something happens to the to the villain and, and they use that to have their hearts harden and they take that out on all of those, all of those around them. Absolutely. I mean, I, I always end my talks to young people by saying, you know, when you do claim your space and you're feeling empowered, mm -hmm. you're like a superhero, but remember superheroes don't just fly because they like the view. They fly because they have the power to help. Mm. Oh yeah. Come on. <laughs> it's always it's always a reminder, isn't it? It's that um, you know our gifts and our skills, our talents, they're they're in part for us because they feel good while we use them, but they're primarily for those in the world who need them. Absolutely. I mean, I I kind of believe the world needs people with you know. I mean, I'm going to do a lot of superhero quoting apparently, but my nephew loves Spider Man, and you know the whole idea of with great power comes great responsibility is not a joke. It's a real thing. Yeah. So you've um. You've just said the words crazy feminist bitch. I know that's a bit from your, <laughs> your book, um, Claim Space. And, I, and I'd love to know, you know what, 
brought you because you know, when we write our first book I mean I haven't written a book yet so I guess yeah. there's that if I can write about anything right, what's it going right. to be claim right. space is is what you've devoted your your words and your creation to why why claiming space well um we're going to dive right in here let's <laughs> go so um when I was younger I had a mom who was absolutely wonderful uh, according to all reports, she was a really devoted mother. And then when I was about four and a half, she became paranoid schizophrenic. And my father got custody of me. And she wasn't really okay with that. So she kidnapped me. And there was a national APB out on me. The police were looking for me. And one of she actually ended up kidnapping me three times. And one of the times, we hitchhiked across the country by truck from truck stop to truck stop to truck stop from New York to California. And um, what happened on that trip made me start to conflate invisibility with safety. So I really just felt like if I could just be invisible, I would be okay. And slowly I started to realize being invisible wasn't safe. It was really dangerous. Mm. And I kind of believe that you... I've said this before, but I really do believe you lose small pieces of your soul every time you give up your power. Mm. And so for me, I felt like, you know what, the way that I can get back to me is to step into my power. I didn't really figure that out until I actually had a almost death, uh, a near death experience um, where I had a head injury mm. and I really had to build my communication back. And that's when I kind of came up with the concept of claiming space, which I can go into if you want. But that's when I realized the safest thing you can do is not to be invisible, is to step into your power. Mm. Yeah, it's powerful. I know that you dedicate the book to your mom and, and, and telling the story and uh, in a way that maybe she couldn't and um, honoring that, which is beautiful. And um, it's 2014, wasn't it? Your The accident you talk about? Yeah. Yeah. Take us back to then. So when um, my son is a big cyclist, so we're a big cycling family. Mm -hmm. My son was actually, um, I'm going to brag because I'm a mother. Um, he was a three-time national collegiate cycling champion. Nice. So we are hardcore riders in this family. So we follow the rules. I was doing everything right, going through an intersection and somebody was on their phone and they wow. violated my right of way. And um, I remember looking at them and thinking, oh, you're not drunk you don't have delayed reaction time. You have no reaction time because you don't mm -hmm. even know I'm here. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until my shadow went over her face that she looked up at me and was like, you know that I know that you know that I know that we're going down. Mm -hmm. So I ended up hitting the car. I hit both sides of my head. I got a bilateral brain injury and a subdural hematoma. In fact, I woke up from the accident and I thought, something smells great. And I walked downstairs, my kids were eating dinner. And I said, how did you guys pull this off? I just got hit by the car this morning. And my ex-husband, John Paul said, oh, you've been awake for a week. And I had no idea. So that began a very long process of me rebuilding my communication brick by brick by brick, because not only could I not remember anything, so I'd go to bed, I'd remember all my day, I'd wake up, half my day would be gone. But even once I felt most of my memory was back, I called a friend and I said, why is everyone acting so weird? And she said, oh no, they're not acting weird, you're acting weird. 
your communication shot, you're, you know, you're talking like a stone third grader. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was, <laughs> but I ended up, um, I knew it wasn't good. So I started to rebuild my communication really from the ground up. And eventually wow. I, one of the things I noticed was communication isn't just about your physicality and your voice. It's about this energy. And I kind of mm. broke down that energy into five parts, which ended up being the five parts of my book. Mm. And, you know, that's, it's, you know, as a, if I understand your, your background well enough, it's, it's an acting and, you know, communication's a, a key part of, of acting. That must've been a, a real challenge to, to try and wrestle with. Yeah. And actually my background, I went to school for political science. Mm-hmm. And then after I graduated, I then did a two-year acting program. And both of those things, believe it or not, are about how you communicate ideas. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, my communication had always been my strength. It had been my my livelihood. Yeah, And I was acting teacher, you know, for 20 years and it was devastating. I actually went into my bed after I realized I wasn't communicating well. And I thought, maybe I just won't ever get out of bed. Maybe Mm. I'll just stay here. And um, Mm. then I realized, I actually thought to myself, you know, I've been through so much. I'm not going to let some lady on her cell phone be the thing that wrecks me. (laughs) That's not happening. Yeah. Hey, my friends, I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that we are in the middle of our first cohort of Good Fathers, a six-week group coaching program for dads. It is my heart to create a space for these good men, to leave them better for those who call them dads. We're having some intentional, purposeful conversations that I can see the men in front of me are transforming in front of my eyes. They are having conversations that they've never had with anyone else, and it is powerful and it is going to help them be much more loving and intentional fathers, intentional partners. And because I have such undying belief in the power of this group, I am bringing about a second cohort. Starting on Monday the 9th of January 2023, we're going to kick off with cohort two. If you are a dad that wants to be even better for those who call you dad, then head over to the website abty.co.uk forward slash goodfathers. The link is in the show notes. Have a look and it'd be my honour and privilege to have you come and join us and other good men from around the world as we journey in what it means to be a good father. Here we go. Back to the interview. That's really powerful. Was there a healing process around that that um, forgiveness and anything like that you had to go through? Oh, for the woman who hit me? Mm. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know about that. I mean, it was very interesting during the affidavit because uh, we went to court. Mm. She had actually posted be- right before she got in her car. We figured out the timeline. She posted mm. on Facebook a picture of a woman looking out the window of her car. And the caption was, you call it road rage. I call it aggressively maneuvering around a-holes who don't know how to effing drive. Then she got in her car, Mm. got on her phone and hit me. Mm. Then she proceeded to post on her Facebook page about drunk driving and the joy of drunk driving afterwards. So, you know, for me, I think forgiveness needs to be, sometimes it doesn't have to be earned, but um, I I feel for her, I Mm. truly do. 
because when I saw her in the, when we were doing um, the depositions, she just looked like a very mm. sad person, but I don't think that it's something that I can forgive. Um, mm. Although it did actually, in many ways in the long run, enrich my life in a way that was completely unexpected and, and beautiful in some ways. Mm. Yeah. Claim space. You said there were five parts to that. Where do we go? Where do we journey through claiming space? I guess first and foremost, I'd love to know why it's important. Why, why bother? Why is space something that needs to be claimed to begin with? <laughs> Um, I think that really you can't live a full life if you are making yourself small for the world or for another human being. And I think a lot of our journey in this life, at least for me, is did I have a good time? Did I have joy? And did I do something to make the world just a little better? Was my footprint positive, even in the smallest way? Mm. And I don't think you can do that because it's like being on that airplane. Like, you know, they always say, put the oxygen mask on yourself. You know, if you can't be in your own power, how can you possibly help anyone else? Oh. And that's, that's a very important thing for me. I'm not a religious person. So for me, I believe this is a one shot deal. So when I'm on my deathbed, I want to be able to look back and say, I, I left the place a little better. And I mm. think that's why for me, claiming space is so important. Mm. I know you have a particular heart for women claiming space too, I guess. What are some of the ways with which women have struggled to, to claim their own space? Well, I mean, historically, um, women have been a class of people who have not had any power. Um, women have had white women have had by proxy power through white men, but that is a false power, really, you know. Uh, and so I think that when you know, the my uh, John Paul, my ex husband, who's still a very good friend of mine, uh, used to be a Baha'i, and the Baha'is have this beautiful phrase, this idea that humanity is like a bird. And if one wing is too strong, it just can't fly right. Mm, mm. And so I don't think that sexism and patriarchy just impacts women. I think it mm. impacts all genders. Mm. And if we want a better world, we need the marketplace of ideas to include everyone. And so mm. for me, um, that is a very low hanging fruit and something I can relate to. Really, I'm very concerned with all injustice for all humans, but as a woman, my perspective allows me to have a little bit more impact, I think, talking to other women because I am a woman. <laughs> mm. Yeah, just writing that down. That's really powerful. That, that bird analogy. It's, yeah. Uh, so it's a great visual. I like that. Um, with, you know, you, you talk about a lot of this is, you know, the, the tools. I saw you speak on your on your TEDx. Mm -hmm. talk about this revolution um of this women claiming space and and mm -hmm. that the, the the main tool of that revolution is communication yeah where do we start yeah i think i should have actually now in hindsight i should have said the first step is communication mm -hmm. i don't think it's the main tool but i think it, nothing can come if you don't have that under control first to a certain extent. And I don't mean you need to communicate in a one rigid way. So for example, Stephen Hawking communicated very well and he didn't have really facility over any of his physicality mm -hmm. or his voice. Um, different cultures communicate differently. But I do think 
if you want to be able to convey ideas that are important, you want to be heard, then you need to be able to communicate those ideas. Mm -hmm. It's not just your content. And that's actually why a lot of my focus and what I love doing so much is going in and helping people communicate because there are so many people with brilliant ideas and they just can't get them out there in a way that people hear them. And so mm. we're losing genius. Mm. And, you know, that's a, that's a shame for all of humanity. It really is, you know, and, and how many great contributions to society don't get unearthed because of that? Is it, is it, um, is it, is it confidence? Is it belief? Is it allyship? Like, I mean, for me, I've kind of broken it down into five parts. Yep. <laughs> I mean, to start with my idea of what claiming space is, I always say to claim space is to live the life of your choosing unapologetically and bravely. Mm. And bravery to me, I think is grossly misunderstood, or at least the way I like to think of what bravery is. I like to define yep. words all the time and redefine them. But um, but I think bravery isn't the absence of fear. I think mm -hmm. that's ludicrous. Mm -hmm. I always say, you know, if you saw some dude like running onto a field with a sword and he's like, I'm not afraid. It's like, you're insane then. There are pointy mm -hmm. things out there, you know? <laughs> but, um, but bravery is really terror meets action. Mm -hmm. That's what bravery is, is being really afraid and doing mm -hmm. what you need to do anyway. And that is how you claim space. And the five aspects, if you want, I can kind of tell you what they are. Because to yeah. me, that's what I have found makes a person who can do it really well. Yeah, let's go for it high level. And, and let's encourage people to go and check out the book. Yeah, for sure. So the first one is your physicality and your voice. You know, very basic. You can watch it on my TED Talk, little tips. Um, mm -hmm. And it's important. Little changes can make a big difference. The next one is building community. People who mm. build community are really good at claiming space. And that includes getting anti-mentors out of their life. Mm -hmm. Because if mm -hmm. you have someone poisoning your community, it's hard for it to be healthy. Yeah. Um, the next one is what are you carrying? I actually have a very different idea than most people about your stuff. I, I hear all the time in pop psychology and I hear people say, you have to work through your issues. I just think that's ludicrous. Like nobody ever gets over anything, I think. But I think what we can do is integrate our issues. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think of it like, you know, we have these boulders we carry around with us and they can weigh us down and they can make us not be able to claim space. But if we work on them, we can get them really small, like a pebble that goes in your pocket and, you know, you touch it and you go, oh, I lived through that. Mm. I learned from that. I won't do that again, or I'll do things differently or all those things. Right. And, and, or I had this terrible loss and how sad, but I'm glad I don't forget it, you know? And so for me, we got to get our stuff down to pebbles, um, which are useful to have. Uh, and then, you know, how to protect yourself from aggressors, very, you know, basic stuff like interruptions, mansplaining, sexual harassment, mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, family, you know, microaggressions. And then finally, um, intersectionality. I found that people who hung out with people who looked different than them mm -hmm. tended to do much better. And I, particularly if they were white, mm -hmm. because I think there takes a tremendous amount of humility to hang out with people of color if you're white, because you will mess up 
Mm. all the time, mm. all the time. And you have to be able to say, oh, thank you. Please teach me. Mm. Or I'm sorry, I'll do it differently. And my friend Alma Derricks, who wrote the foreword to my book, actually mm. said to me, you know, it's sort of like going to another country. <laughs> she said, you know, if you never leave to another country, you don't learn about other cultures. How are you ever, ever going to grow and learn? And so those five things, people who, not who mastered them, because I also believe mastery is impossible, but people who were mindful of them mm-hmm. tended to have this power about them that was very, very hard to um, match. And it wow. was very, and, and it it was transformative. Mm. With the uh, with the first step that you said around the communication, one of the things I heard you say is that um, women tend to speak faster as a general. So you talk about the importance of silence, but one of the things I really picked up on, which is you said speaking faster is a disempowering speech pattern, and I thought yeah. that just that just really shifted in my mind because you know you talked in the talk about how you know most speakers talk about just ranging your in the, the delivery going faster then going slower and you know to really keep people engaged but that doesn't really work for women because of the 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 the, the speed of that they talk about so yeah speaking faster is a disempowering speech pattern yeah and it's not that you speak fast um some of the time i mean i i'm i'm italian and jewish <laughs> we are fast speaking people especially by italian side you wouldn't believe how fast they talk but if it's all the time, if you're always being really fast, if it's never, there's never a break, you're just going, 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 going. What it connotes is nerves. When people are nervous, they tend to have pressured speech. And so if you can learn to have moments where you slow down, yeah. it actually is quite powerful. But what I have found is that because of the societal pressures on women, we tend to speak more quickly for a plethora of reasons. And because of that, we can get in these grooves of real disempowered speech patterns. And unfortunately, that makes us less able to be heard. Mm. One of the um, things that you and I talked about when we uh, when we originally met each other was it was about my daughter. She's seven years old and, and my desire to be a good dad for her, my desire to mm-hmm. help her claim her space. And, and you told me a story about your own badass dad. <laughs> oh, about my dad. Oh, I don't know what story I told you about my dad, but I think I told a story about my, um, my daughter. I think that was a story that I told you. I don't remember the dad story. I have so many badass dad stories though that I can't (laughs) remember. What's the importance of your badass dad on on your journey and and how's that helped you? Oh, I know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that for me being raised by my dad for quite a while, Mm -hmm. um, it, it really, and having somebody in your life, having a father in your life that says, you know, I expect you can go out and kill it <laughs> is really, really powerful. And while I think single moms can do it, I was a single mom for a while. <laughs> there is something about a daughter hearing from her father that she can go out and, and change everything that I think is, is really powerful. And often actually men they have found tend to tell little girls to be safe and be careful and don't take the risk, not because they don't believe in them, but because they're frightened for them. And it's so important to give our daughters the message 
that we can do it. And actually, I had a very transformative experience, which I think we may have alluded to about my daughter, which I was um, so happy I did. And it kind of changed her life. And she is a powerful mm. young woman. Um, and it, you know, it was so important for her. Mm. After we spoke, I wrote down two words to ask you about, and I can't remember the context. I literally wrote cloakroom conversation. Cloakroom conversation. Oh, conversations in the bathroom. Yeah, right. I don't know why I wrote that down. Like, is I it know what? exactly why you wrote it down. Okay. I almost called my book conversations in the bathroom. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so basically when um, I would give my talks, and this is also part of why I wrote my book, I would give the talks and then I go to the bathroom afterwards because you got to pee. And I'd be in there washing my hands and these women would follow me every time to the bathroom. And one of them would kind of sidle up to me and they'd be like, okay, I got to ask you a question. I didn't want to ask in Q and A. And I'd say, okay. And then they'd ask the question. And the next thing I know, we're having like a workshop in the damn bathroom. <laughs> and, and I realized that there aren't a lot of safe spaces for women. Right. And the bathroom is a safe space for women. And so this is where they felt they could ask the question they didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And part of my motivation for the book is I found that the questions they asked, whether I was in Hong Kong or Texas or Florida, mm -hmm. they were about 50 of the same questions and they actually fell almost perfectly, a fifth, a fifth, a fifth, a fifth into the five aspects of claiming space. Yeah. That's how you claim your space by making sure you can do these things, these answers to these questions. And so I thought, you know, so much of the difficulty we have in our lives, we, we stay in the shadows with those difficulties. Men do as well. And I think we need to take them out of the bathroom, out of the darkness, into the sunlight. And that was part of my motivation for writing the book. Yeah. And um, one of the spaces that you've really started to claim is TikTok. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's true. What inspired you to create a TikTok account? Oh, I didn't. I was so resistant to creating, <laughs> doing it. I did not do it. My youngest son, Lucian, was like, mom, you got to do TikTok, seriously. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, Lucian, I'm not doing TikTok. You're about to be 50. You're insane. <laughs> and he was like, no, mom, seriously, like, it's the thing. And I thought, all right, fine, I'll do a TikTok. And I did a TikTok and it was so bad that it went viral for how bad it was. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> and my daughter was like, oh God, mom, you have to take that down. So, so then I left it up for a long time. Eventually I took it down because I was like, this is truly embarrassing. Um, but I slowly started figuring it out. And then I did one TikTok about it. And then I, it just wasn't clicking for me. And then suddenly I thought, you know, I, I don't like the idea of motivational speaker because I feel like that's someone who just motivates you and then pieces out. Mm. For me, I like the idea of like motivational teacher mm. and because I want to give people skills when I go do my talks and workshops. And so I thought I should just teach. So I started just taking bits of my book and just teaching people. And the first one on anti-mentors, the second one on anti-mentors went relatively viral, got almost 100,000 views. And I thought, oh, I can do this. I don't have to try to like play in the kid playground. Like I can just be my old several generations self and teach. And so it's been, it's been good. Although I will say TikTok has some serious problems with um, 
issues of race. And if you talk about any racism, you will be um, have a lot more trouble getting your content out. And that's something that I hope everybody can, mm. you know, complain about to all the powers that be if you have anybody that you know, because it's it's very much a way of, you know, controlling the stories. And if you control stories, you you control narratives or you control narrative, you control the world as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Yeah. Yes to that. And um, you know, I think having because yeah, tiktok's primarily young a young people's platform isn't it and i think one of the great things about having someone like you there is almost like you're there almost like their relation you're, you're giving some tips to help them realize the behavior that they're seeing that they don't know yet to be red flag they don't know yet to be toxic and here yes. you come along with oh this behavior they're doing this thing and it's like oh <laughs> Like even with the the straw man fallacy thing, which is talk to us about the straw man fallacy. Oh, the straw man fallacy is great. It, it's basically like where somebody that one went quite viral. I think it yeah. was almost three million views or something. It's basically it's a logical fallacy, and it's the idea that instead of arguing about the thing the person brought up, you bring a different element into the argument in mm. order to basically sidetrack the argument. And so then the person argues about the new thing. So for example, mm. I would say, you know, I don't really like the way you purposely embarrass me in front of your friends. Mm -hmm. And then the response is, well, That's you're always mean, <laughs> you know? And then suddenly the expectation is, oh, now we have to argue about how, you know, yeah, and then yeah. you want, usually people say, I'm not mean, as yeah, opposed yeah. to, you know, what I always tell people to say is, you know, the issue is not whether or not I'm mean. If you want to talk about that, we can talk about it later. Right now, I want to talk about what just happened. Yeah. And, you know, resisting getting sucked into a straw man argument is is really a powerful, powerful thing. And that's it, isn't it? You know, with the simplicity of, of seeing a TikTok video, you think, oh, I can start seeing that in relationships now and hopefully be better for them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my hope. I actually just did one that really resonated with people about finding your superpower. Mm. And what I said was, think about your anti-mentor. Think about all the words they said to make you small. Yeah, That's your superpower. Mm. Because your anti-mentor really sees you and is afraid of your power. And so they take the thing that's strong about you and pathologize it. So for example... I was called a space cadet. My head was in the clouds. I couldn't, all these things. And I'm a writer and a thinker for my job. I am, my head's always in the clouds, you know? So all of these things that we're told are our weaknesses often are the strength that we really are carrying with us. Oh, we need so many good people to be speaking that into us, don't we? You know, because like you say, if that's in, in the mind of a young person that, that never gets brought to the world, what a loss that is to the, if that person and those who would have been served by it. Totally. Um, absolutely. In fact, uh, one of my friends is a uh, part of uh, one of the tribes, Native American tribes in the state. And mm. in his tribe, he says that the thing, the way they identify how a kid is going to, what they're going to do when they grow up or whatever, is they look at the thing that drives the parent crazy. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they decide that that's actually the thing that will allow their kid to succeed because it's yeah, the thing yeah. they really are latching onto in a powerful way. Yeah. So. Yeah. So my kid's kicking his football around the uh, the kitchen whilst I'm trying to cook, and my daughter's doing cartwheels in the um, 
in the living rooms. <laughs> right. Yeah, so that, I mean, my son was, you know, riding his bike through the kickball game. Right. <laughs> and right. they drove them crazy. Why are you letting your kid do this? And I was like, he doesn't even notice there's a kickball game. He's too involved <laughs> in his bike. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's so funny. I um I think that um there's a time and a place to speak and there's a time and a place to be quiet and silent because I think there's a lot of noise out there. So there's certainly a lot of noise on on social. How do we know the difference of when to claim space and, and speak and talk and, and when to just stop talking? Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of things through the lens of privilege. So mm. for me, for example, one of the biggest lessons I ever learned was when to shut up when I've messed up. <laughs> and um, I think that's a huge lesson. And I, I used it through, I learned through the lens of race, but I apply it to almost everything now. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a friend, she's a black woman. I screwed up. I don't even remember what I did. I think I blocked it out. It wasn't huge, but it was still pretty bad. And she said, you know, that wasn't cool what you just did. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, 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 let me explain. Let me explain. Let me explain. And finally she said, Eliza, when a black woman trusts you enough to tell you about her experience you have one job and that's to shut up and listen (laughs) and I thought okay so I really learned in that moment that you know it doesn't really matter sometimes what my intention was Mm. it's how did it land and if it didn't land well for someone you know I should believe that now do I want to change if somebody says you know Anytime you have a pink mug, I have an anxiety attack. You can never have a pink mug. I can, I need to listen to that. I don't necessarily need to, you know, decide to not have a pink mug, but I need to at least listen enough to understand what they're saying and hear them so I can make an informed choice on how I want to proceed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, with the, um, with the, the crazy feminist bitch energy, the, the simplicity of the word feminism is this just belief that, um, you know, men and women should have equal opportunity, right? I yeah. think that's my simple right? Equal rights and opportunities. It's an incredibly yeah. radical idea. Right, right. <laughs> do, you think that, um, do you think that somehow feminism has come away from that simplistic definition? Is, it, is there an element of, you know, trying to counteract that, you know, to, to make the other wing stronger, shall we say? I don't think so at all, actually. I think that um, that is a sort of myth that is being mm-hmm. perpetuated by people who are afraid of equity. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's sort of like when people say, you know, in this country, Black people are getting affirmative action for college. We need to stop it. And I'm really entrenched in academia because I do a lot of talks in academia. And I always mm-hmm. say, no, you know who gets affirmative action? white wealthy kids whose parents went to the school their legacies and i know for a fact they're put in a pile that has a much lower standard than any black person they will ever let in so focus on the thing that's really getting in your way that's truly unfair and i think we we create these mythologies often for groups that are trying to get equity that they're trying to get too much i have never yet seen that happen and until i see all of these statistics which tell me otherwise i'm going to say that that's sort of a misnomer yeah great and i think one of the i think one of the things that is a universal truth is that the world just needs more compassionate conversations absolutely 100 percent 
100%. All of us do because every single person has some sort of gift that someone else doesn't have and is probably can help someone else, you know, if you just pay attention. How do men help? Um, I think that it's really about believing people, mm. believing their experiences, and then just saying, you know, what, how do men help? I actually think what you just did is how men help. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to happen person by person by person. I think you can legislate some of it, but yeah. I think that, you know, if you say, you know, I don't know if you know this, but when I walk to my car, I pretend to be on the phone on a dark day because I don't want to be harassed and it mm. makes me feel more safe. You know, you can say, well, you don't probably have to. I mean, there's, you know, you're, what are the probability? Or you can say, oh, what's it like to be like that? And how can I help? And then I can say, well, you know, if you're ever sitting around and you see a man heckle a woman who's the only woman on the street, you can just say, hey, that's not cool. Like, yeah. you know, I think it's one man at a time, just with any form of oppression, you know, whether it's parents being unkind to their children, interracial, intergenerational, interwealth, all of the interclass, you know, all of those things. I think it's really about hearing, believing, and then seeing, and then asking the question is, what can I do? And for everyone, it's going to be a little different in some ways. Mm. Yeah. Culture's messy. I think culture's messy. I think culture has done a couple of dangerous things over the last couple of decades. You know, the the glamorization of women and their bodies, you know, putting them on, you know, on a national newspaper on page three here in the UK, you know, having a, a, a half naked body, for example, on a, a available on every single newspaper, you know, that 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 has consequences, you know, subtly and psychologically. And and we we've got a generation of men now that don't have to work hard for anything. It's all we've got a com we've got a, a culture of comfort where we just swipe right or pick up an app or to deliver your food and that that you know that has consequences of of entitlement and and lack of doing things that are honourable and noble and and standing for the right things and being compassionate human beings, putting other people first. You know, we're in a selfie generation. And if I'm focusing on self, I'm not focusing on anybody else. You know, you, you start to look back and, you know, this isn't, you know, it's very easy to blame the individual at that level, but there are so many forces at play that maybe people don't take a step back and, and see and pay attention to. Absolutely. And I, I actually think that part of how we do that is directly instructing our kids. You right. know, not hoping they'll get it, right? But direct instruction, and you know, I can, if you want, I'll, I'll share one of my favorite stories at some point about how I was given advice about directly instructing my daughter that helped her. But I think so much of the time we kind of hope they're going to get it, mm -hmm. and we don't realize actually the incredible power that we have. We can't do everything as parents. I mean, some things you know we just can't control, but there's a lot that we can do to set our kids on the right path. Yeah, I'd love to know that story. Yeah. Well, that's actually one of my favorite stories. I, I share it with people with daughters all the time. So if you're <laughs> listening and you have daughters, this is important. Um, so my daughter, before she hit puberty, was a triathlete. Mm -hmm. She was really, really smart. She was doing great. And suddenly she hits puberty and she starts acting like she's clumsy. This is a girl who's a triathlete. She's not clumsy. She's pretending to run into walls. She's acting dumb. And my friend who's a therapist said she's in trouble. Mm -hmm. 
And I said, what do you mean? And she said, let me explain something to you. And she explained it to me. And she said, now you go explain this to Ella. So I went and I sat down with Ella and I said, Ella, I don't know if you've really thought about this, but before you hit puberty, the way that you and boys got their powers for what you did, like where you were picked on the kickball team, you know, how smart you are, you got a lot of rewards for that. Now that you're developing and you're, you know, you're going through puberty, boys are getting their power for what they do and girls are getting their power for if the boys like them. So you're all trying to make yourself really small and non-threatening, including being clumsy and acting dumb to get boys. And she, and that's a good short-term plan. It's really going to work in middle school. It will work, but it's not a great long-term plan. Mm -hmm. And she kind of looked at me like, yeah, whatever, mom, (laughs) (laughs) like whatever. (laughs) You always say these things. And then about maybe, I don't know, three weeks to a month later, she came home and she said, mom, you were right. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I was walking down the hall and these two boys were following me. And one of the boys said, I like a girl because she's smart and laughed. And she said, and then she said, and the other guy said, and I like a girl because of her great personality and laughed. And I said, do you think they wanted you to hear that? And she said, oh yeah, they were walking right behind me so I would hear it. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what do you think about that? And she said, it was mean. And I said, yeah, it was mean. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, my daughter said, I'm not participating in this. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. And she ended up being this incredible activist. She was quoted in the New York Times for (laughs) her activism in high school. You know, she just was like, I reject that. I'm going to be my own person. And the interesting thing is her friend group is the most gender diverse friend group I've ever seen. All of her, she has 50% boys and girls because and the boys who are friends with her now, she's in her 20s, the men, Mm-hmm. They are these incredible, smart men who want to be around smart women, mm. you know, and it's wonderful to see. It's just fantastic. So I think, you know, direct instruction can really help, even if in the moment that we feel like they're not hearing anything we say. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. You know, and, but I think that's about passing on values. I think that's something that, you know, one of the things I've had a couple of parenting experts on the show in the last couple of months and, you know, the things that they kind of allude to is that if we're not instilling those values in our kids, the, the values of our culture will shape, that's you right. know, the, the things that they hold dear and hold important to them. And um, yeah, that's definitely, you know, for any of our listeners is, is that don't leave that stuff to chance. Don't, no. don't, don't ever leave it to chance, you know, cause it will be, it will be someone out there on YouTube. It will be someone there in the hierarchy of school that's basically teaching your kid what's important and and, uh, and not you. Yeah, and I think there's a 5% chance they listen to a, like what we're saying <laughs> at any given time. But I feel five, like that yeah. 5% could be the tipping point, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and even if they don't hear it then, they might hear it later. Yeah. Yeah, like you say, three to four weeks later. All right, mum. And sometimes is that what does it mean to admit my mum or dad was right? Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, if she's right about this thing, what else is she right about? Right. Oh no, there may be a point to some <laughs> of the things. The big domino. Yeah, it's not locked you down. Yeah, absolutely. Totally, hundred percent. One of the acknowledgements you make at the very end of your book, you talk about um, uh, you you can't do it with a one woman army. You can't claim space with a one woman army. Yeah. What do you mean by that? And and where do you start to to build that village? 
I feel like claiming space is not a selfish act. It just can't be. Mm -hmm. um, claiming space has to be a collective act. And I think that I believe that networking needs to be redefined. I think we think of it as very mercenary, like I'm going to meet someone and get something from them and then they'll give me stuff, <laughs> you know? Right. And I actually feel like when you network like that, people can smell it and it never works. Yeah. I think, however, it is good to have a large network of people. And so you should find people that you authentically think are wonderful and possibly doing things kind of in your sphere because A, you're going to have things to talk about and B, they might help you and C, you might help them. And then, you know, start to build your network. I think one of the best ways to build your network is to be a super connector, mm -hmm. is to just connect people all the time who can help each other. Because mm -hmm. then you have this web of people that you've helped that are all around you. And one day you might need a little bit of that web, but it doesn't even matter if you don't, because I believe it comes back to you eventually either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a big thank you to Kathleen Merkel. Kathleen is a is a super connector. She's the one that connected you and I. She, uh, I think she had you on your podcast, and she was like, "You sound like you'd have a great conversation with Ryan." And yet here we are. Yeah, she's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, um, I have a word here. At Always better than yesterday. And you touched on it earlier. You said the words footprint, uh, and I, and and my word is heartprint. I believe that when we come and bring of ourselves to the world, the things that we love, the things that we care about, the things that we are gifted with to help other people, I think we'll leave a heart print where those around us are left better. What do you, what do you think your heart print will be? Hmm. Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I hope that I left the world in a place where women understand that in no way are they breaking any rules or doing anything that's negative if they're claiming their rightful bit of the space, mm -hmm. that actually they're making the world better. And hopefully I'm making some women's lives better who are then in turn making other women's lives better, who are then really helping all of us. Um, I believe that everyone should be able to step into their power, everyone, and maybe I'll let a couple people or hopefully several thousand, given the sales of my book, I hope, um, how it's going so far, um, really change their own lives. And that's important to me. And of course, my kids, you know, I think if you don't do a good job by your kids, I don't know if anything else really matters. Mm, yeah, I agree with that. I love that. Thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on the show and really, um, really admire the, the, um, the desire to see, you know, women rise. You know, I think that's really important. Again, mum, my mum was single parent, raised three of us. And, um, my mum's always had this kind of like spirit of just joy, optimism, like, you know, she's, she's been my role model and, um, you know, fortunately she didn't, <laughs> she came to one of my workshops once and I asked her how much would you have paid for that if you had to pay and she said oh, 10 pounds you know what I mean she, <laughs> it, it, she, she really undervalued because she you know she's all she has she hasn't really needed this personal development self-development stuff because I don't know she just had something equipped but many others aren't many others are are out there that don't have that and then they're like you say making themselves small they're they're shying away they're not being heard and, and as a result, many, many people who they yet have yet to meet don't get to benefit from all the goodness that they could have brought. That's right.
and that diminishes them and all of us really I, I really do believe when we rise together we rise so much higher yeah that analogy of the birds is going to stay with me thank you for that thank you for sharing mm, absolutely um, where can people connect with you where can they find out more about your your wonderful work and your viral tiktoks <laughs> well they can follow me on tiktok it's eliza van court there's no you in court mm -hmm. um and um and they can go to my website eliza van court and um all of the things and actually if you go to my website that's how you can connect with my, I actually just started a course that I'm going to be mm -hmm. capping soon, but there's, I'm doing a course and I'm doing, um, and I do workshops and talks and coaching and I love it. I feel like the luckiest person in the world and you can contact me through my website. Mm, bathroom workshops. Yeah, I, I should do a bathroom <laughs> workshop. That would be awesome. I think yeah. we kind of create that, that feeling in my workshops though. <laughs> Everyone has fun, you know, it's not like uptight and sitting in rows, you know, it's fun. So that's kind of one of my goals too, is, you know, you can learn and have fun at the exact same time. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the metaphorical safe space, which I think we should all be trying to create for each other. Absolutely. My friend, thank you so much for your time. I'd be honored if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self. Sure. Um, I guess what I would say to the women listening um, is you can't claim space if you don't believe you have the right to. So believe you have the right to claim space for over 50% of the population. We mm. should be claiming over 50% of the space. Mm. Do you have a final thought for men? If you support women in their quest to claim space, we will all do better, not just women. Mm. That's real feminism. Mm, agreed. My friend, appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.